Our sermon reading comes to us from Psalm 130. Psalm 130. reading the entire psalm. A song of degrees. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This morning it is my desire to address the unconverted, and then this afternoon to address believers in Jesus Christ. To those of you who have not repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I ask you this question. Why did Jesus come into the world? The Bible gives us the answer. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is good news for me and for you. There is righteousness for you to be justified before God. There is peace for your enmity with God. There is reconciliation for your alienation towards God. And there is full and free forgiveness for all of your sins. Yet you know this. You have heard the good news of Jesus Christ abundantly in your life. You hear it every week from this pulpit. You've heard it at the family altar in family devotions. You've had it in your education. And yet, despite hearing the good news, you have not turned from your sins 
and you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ. Why is this? You don't believe. You may have an intellectual agreement, but you don't believe the sinfulness of your sin. You don't really believe the holiness of the holiness of God. And therefore, you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're like a man who's given medicine. But you're unconvinced that you're sick. And therefore, you do not believe you need that medicine. Before such a man will take the medicine, he must be convinced that he's sick. And so it is my task as an ambassador of Jesus Christ to first awaken you. Awaken you out of your slumber. Awaken you out of your spiritual sleep. So that you would know the great danger you are in. And then, then, you'll have a conscious desire of a saviour. And that saviour is the Lord Jesus Christ. The text to awaken your soul today is Psalm 130. This is a beautiful psalm with much to instruct the believer as well as the sinner. But for our attention this morning, we will focus on verses 3 to 4. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee. Quite simply, we'll look at one, man's wretchedness. And then two, divine mercy. First of all then, man's wretchedness. In verse 3, it describes sin as iniquities. Iniquity means uneven, crooked, twisted, perverted. The idea is to take something that's straight and bend it. To take something that is right and good and twist it. This is our sin. We take that which is straight, that which is right, that which is good, and we bend it, we twist it, we make it crooked so that we can get our own ways. What is good? What is straight? What is right? God is good. God is straight. God is right. And he reveals himself in his law, summarized by the Ten Commandments. And in our sin, we take those straight, right, good commandments of God and twist them and pervert them. The Lord says, 
Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I created you. I've given you life. I've given your parents, your siblings, your aunties, your uncles, your cousins. I've given you a home. I've given you food. I've given you the clothing on your back. You lack nothing. I provide. And yet you do not trust in me. You do not submit to me. You don't love me. You do not follow me. You're like a child. The parents have only ever loved them. Raised them. They've sacrificed time and energy and money and resources to give you everything that's good in your life. And then you turn around to your mother or father and say, I want nothing to do with you. You have never done anything for me. Don't talk to me. I want to live my life completely separate from you. What would you say about such a child? How ungrateful. How unthankful. How wicked. And yet that's you. You're the child. You're the child when God has given you all things needful. And yet, what do you worship? You turn the worship of the creator into the creature. You have more love for the gadgets in your home than the Lord who gives you breath and life. You care more about sports than the God who has kept you healthy for your life. You care more and you're excited more about hobbies and leisure and music and movies and entertainment and insert what may be true in your life. These things thrill your soul more than the God who provided salvation in Jesus Christ. Think about the third commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Honour his name. Respect his name. Revere his name. And yet, you blaspheme his name. You say OMG. You take his attributes and pollute them. Oh my goodness. You take the holy name of Jesus and you say Jesus Christ as a curse word. Take the fourth commandment. Here's a day of rest. Here's a day to enjoy me. Here's a day to contemplate heaven on earth. Don't want to. I prefer the TV. I prefer the sports. I prefer restaurants. I can't wait till the day is over. Honour thy father and mother. When you're with your friends, you crack jokes about them, you mock them, you laugh at them, you dishonour them. Thou shalt not commit murder. And yet with your tongue, you're going about murdering people, destroying their reputations, gossiping, slandering 
Thou shalt not bear false witnessing. The larger catechism 45 describes how we twist and pollute the straight line of the ninth commandment. Calling evil good and good evil. Concealing the truth. Undue silence in a just cause. Holding our peace when iniquity calls for a reproof. Speaking the truth unseasonably. Maliciously to a wrong end. Perverting wrong meanings. Speaking untruth. Lying. Slandering. Backbiting. Detracting. Tailbearing. Whispering. Scoffing. Reviling. Rash. Harsh. Partial censuring of others. Misconstruing intentions of others. Mankind, by nature, is full of iniquity. And you're blind to your sin. You think you're wearing a white garment, just a a little speck here and a, a little speck there, of course, because who's perfect after all? No, your garments are filthy and disgusting. As Isaiah says in 64, we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as a filthy garment. We are disgusting and filthy, every single one of us by nature. And yet, do you know the real perversity? The real perversity is this. You're not terrified about death. You're not terrified about judgment day. That's the real perversity. Hebrews says it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And this is why you're not running to Christ. Because you don't understand your danger and you don't understand your danger because you don't understand how filthy you are in your sin and how holy God is. But this verse, I pray the Spirit of God opens your conscience so that you are terrified of God. We see in this verse the nature of God, the judgment of God, and the punishment of God. First of all, the nature of God. Can you see the word Lord is used twice here? One Lord is all capital. And the second Lord, the L is of course a capital, but O-R-D is not. The Lord with all capitals is Jehovah. And the Lord, which is not all capitals, is Adonai. Jehovah signifies, Exodus 3, I am that I am, transcendent, high, all-sufficient. Adonai signifies his mighty power and kingship. And where in the Old Testament do these two names come to the fore? Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, where the Lord God Almighty 
is presented before Isaiah as the one who is holy, holy, holy. Holiness means pure righteousness, separate from all that is common and sinful. The God who is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And when Isaiah, a man of God, a man born again, a man who's a true believer, when he comes into the presence of Jehovah Adonai, what does he say? Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You should be terrified of God because he is holy. He is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. Do you remember 2 Samuel 6? David, by faith, desires to honour God. David, by faith, seeks to build a house for God so God would receive all the glory. And so he must transport the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle to the new capital city, Jerusalem. And the Holy Ark is being transported by ox. But on the road... It's wobbly. It's shaky. And if, it, if the holy ark of God falls, it will fall into the filthy mud on the ground. And the ark of the covenant is shaking and rattling and it falls over and it's about to touch the unholy muddy ground. Now here's Uzzah. A man of God. Out of a heart that seeks to glorify God and not allow the holy ark to touch the unholy ground. What would you do? Uzzah takes out his hands, goes down on the ground and just saves the ark from touching the ground. What does God do? Killed him. Killed him. Because I am holy. I said in Exodus. No man touch the ark. You put staves in it. You carry it. You never ever touch it. For I am holy. And Uzzah thinks his hands cleaner than the ground. Uzzah's a sinner. Just like me and just like you, he has unclean hands. And when his unclean hands touch the holy ark, God kills him. Don't think that God's going to wink at your sin. He is holy. You're unclean. He is against you. Secondly, the judgment of God. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities. Mark means to bring into account. O Lord, who can 
stand. Stand means able to endure judgment day and be found righteous in the sight of God. Lord, if you were to take into account everything that I do, would I stand in your sight? Ask yourself that question. Lord, if you were to mark everything that everyone in this house does, who would stand? No one. No one. Psalm 5, verse 5. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Psalm 14.2 The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Job 10.14 If I sin, then thou markest me, and thou wilt not acquit me from mine iniquity. You will not stand. And on judgment day, every single thing you've ever thought, said, or done will be brought to account. How did you sin on the 1st of July 2019? You have no idea, do you? How did you sin on the 22nd of February last year? You don't have a clue, do you? How did you sin on the 10th of December 1999? You don't have a clue, don't you? God does. God does. And everything you've ever thought or said or done will one day be publicly revealed. Jesus says in Luke 12 too, There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither head that shall not be known. Therefore whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Let's just stick to 2023. Imagine every single thing you've ever thought or said or done in 2023 was uploaded to YouTube. Every single cinema would be showing it. Every device, every phone, every iPad, every TV will show it. Every public square would have a big screen showing it. So everyone on this planet will see everything you've done this year in thought, word, and deed. That's what's happening on Judgment Day. And everyone's going to see it. But more importantly, God knows it. He sees it and he will demonstrate it.
we should be terrified because of God's judgment. And thirdly, the punishment of God. What's the result? Lord, if thou should mark iniquities, who can stand? Well, what does an earthly judge do? There's a court case. The evidence is publicly presented. And there's a determination. And if someone is found guilty as charged, they cannot stand. The result is punishment. And the sinner's punishment is hell. Hell's a real, physical, local place. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's not a story. It's not something designed to scare you into believing Jesus. Hell is a real place where God is glorified by punishing sinners and they receive consciously in body and soul the infinite wrath of God for all eternity. And you know who teaches the most about hell? Jesus Christ. Most if not all of the language we have about hell comes from Jesus. Worm dieth not, wailing and gnashing of teeth, hell fire, unquenchable fire, darkness. All these things come from Jesus Christ's own lips. And why is that? This is why the most terrifying thing about hell is Jesus. The most terrifying thing about hell is Jesus Christ. Do you not believe me? Turn to Revelation chapter 6. Judgment day is at hand. And there's absolute terrors everywhere. There's a great earthquake. This is not 5 or 10 or even 15 on the Richter scale. This is a thousand on the Richter scale. The very core of the earth is shaking up and being destroyed from within. The sun is becoming black and the moon is red. This is not the ordinary natural thing that happens three or four times a year. This is because God is screaming loud wrath and vengeance upon sinners. Stars are literally falling from the sky like fruit from a tree. The sky is being rolled up like a scroll because everything's being destroyed. Mountains and islands are being completely removed out of their places. And there's kings and judges and great people and ordinary people. And they're screaming terrified. Mountains fall on us. Mountains 
fall on us. And why are they terrified? <coughs> it's not because of the earthquake. It's not the sun. It's not the moon. It's not the mountains. It's not the islands. This is why they're terrified. Revelation 6.16 and they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? It's the Lamb's wrath. They're terrified. Where does the fires of hell come from? Have you ever asked that? The fires of hell come from Jesus Christ. Matthew 3, verse 12. When he comes, he will baptize with fire, whose fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge the floor and gather the wheat into the garner and will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's Christ fire. Second Thessalonians 1.8 When Jesus returns in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who know not God and obey not the gospel. It's Christ flaming fire. Revelation 14 verse 10 the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire in the presence of the Lamb. Christ is in hell. Christ is in hell in all eternity. It's his fire. The unquenchable fire, the lake of fire, is Jesus. He will be physically located in heaven with his saints. But the person of Christ who subsists in two natures, he who is Jesus, he is the Son of God, he who is omnipresent, he who is omnipotent, he who is holy, 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 he who is full of wrath, is the one who punishes sinners in hell for all eternity. The Jesus who offers you salvation every week. The Jesus who offers you full free forgiveness of sins in the preaching of the gospel. The Jesus you reject. The Jesus you spurn. The Jesus you laugh at. The Jesus you mock. The Jesus you do not value. The Jesus you dis dismiss. This Jesus is the self-same Jesus who will punish you with infinite wrath for all eternity. And therefore sinners in Zion should be afraid. Because of God's nature, God's judgment and God's punishment. Lord, if thou should mark iniquity, who shall stand? Not, not one single one of you. Are you terrified? Are you awakened? Do you need help? Do you need good news? I have good news for you. 
I have good news for you. Read verses 3 to 4. Lord, if thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But, but, here's the good news. Every word of God is God-breathed. Even this adversative. This but is the light in the midst of the darkness. You cannot stand before God, but there is forgiveness with him. This but is the difference between heaven and hell. In Hosea, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but I will help thee. You are dead in trespasses and sins, children of disobedience, children of wrath, but God. Here's the good news. This is to be proclaimed to one and all. We're sinners in the hands of an angry God, but God saves sinners. But there is forgiveness. The idea of forgiveness is all your sins are written down and then you get a marker completely gone. The debt is there completely paid for. No guilt No punishment, no wrath, no terrors, no hell. But God in full, free forgiveness. Think about it. Your iniquities whereby you cannot stand, but God forgives of every iniquity. Now why? Why would God forgive your iniquity? We don't have to guess. Verse 7. For with thee there is mercy. Mercy is God's compassion towards the undeserving, miserable, suffering sinner. God has a care, a compassion, a mercy over sinners. And it doesn't say God shows mercy here. That's true. But with thee is mercy. It's revealing something about the nature of God. God does not simply show mercy, but he is mercy. God's not just merciful, he is mercy. God's whole, undivided, infinite, eternal, unchangeable being is mercy. God's not a God of parts. 
Well, you get the circle and he, he's cut like a pie. He's part love, part justice, part goodness, part mercy. No, the whole of God is mercy. So when it says, but there is forgiveness with thee because with thee there is mercy, it means God and his infinite being is mercy and mercifully wills to save those who commit iniquity. Psalm 103. Turn there. This is God. Psalm 103 from verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What does God enjoy to do? What's God's good pleasure? Micah 7.18 Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? Who passes by the transgression of the remnant of his people? Who delighteth in mercy? And how do you know he delights to show mercy? Keep reading verse 7. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. Redemption means to be bought with a price. A slave, someone in bondage, there's a price paid to release them. In whom does God show mercy and pay the price? The Lord Jesus Christ. There's one word used to describe Jesus in the Gospels more than any other word. Mercy. He sees a leper that no one's dare to touch, who must be a hundred feet away from. He's move of compassion and heals. He sees a people who are like sheep without a shepherd, who are weary. He's move of compassion. Here, there, and everywhere, he sees sinners full of iniquity, and he's moved with compassion. And how does he pay that price on the cross? What's the relationship between your iniquity and Christ's redemption? Isaiah 53, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, all that iniquity we've described all that iniquity will be publicly demonstrated. It's gone and transferred. It's no longer on you. The guilt and the punishment, the liability, gone forever and on the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means Jesus must suffer hell for you. 
The darkness, the wailing, the gnashing of teeth, the unquenchable fire. Jesus Christ experienced this all infinity on the cross. As God the Father withdrew his felt presence and love from the Son and three hours of darkness, the holy, infinite wrath of God was poured upon the Son so that in his extremity would say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because my people are full of iniquity. I am putting that iniquity upon you and you must bear the punishment for that iniquity. And Jesus was no reluctant saviour. He loved the church and gave himself for her. In his heart of love, he willingly lays down his life and bears the iniquity of all who would believe in him. And what's the effect? Redeemed. Released from the price. Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews eight twelve. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. And now it's all changed. Lord, if thou shouldst mark iniquity, who could stand? Ephesians six fourteen, Stand therefore, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Because as your iniquity is transferred to Christ, Christ transfers his perfect, spotless righteousness to the believer so on judgment day you can stand what's the value of the righteousness you have if you believe in Jesus God's righteousness God's righteousness Romans 1 2 Corinthians 5 he who knew no sin but became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God The value of the righteousness you have is not less than Jesus. It's the same value because it's his righteousness. The saints in heaven right now who are sinless are not more righteous. They're more holy, but they're not more righteous because their righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, you will stand because of Christ's righteousness. This is the good news. So believe in the good news. Turn from your sin. Turn from your iniquity. And believe in Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved. You will be righteous in the sight of God. You'll be fully and freely and perfectly forgiven. But you might have some objections. Is there not something that I must do? The only thing is faith in Christ. Deny your righteousness. Deny your works. And put your heart trust in the Savior alone. Because Christ is free. 
Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat without money and without price. What did we read in Revelation 22? Come. The Holy Spirit says, come to Christ. The church says, come to Christ. Whosoever, without money, without price, take of the water of life freely. But I'm so sinful. You have no idea how sinful I am. You have no idea of the skeletons in my closet. You have no idea of my iniquity. God says, come now, Isaiah 1.18. Come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Ask Paul, the chiefest of sinners. A blasphemer, injurious, a persecutor. But God was merciful to me. But how do I know I'm elect? Well, you can't know. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But the things which are revealed belong unto us and our children. So that we may do them. The only way you know your elect will reprobate is one. You have faith in Jesus Christ. So never ask the question am I elect. You have no right ever asking that in question. Until you believe. What does God say? Ezekiel 33 verse 11. Say to them. As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his evil ways. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. Why will ye die? See, God, I am an ambassador of Christ. I speak in the very name and the authority of Jesus Christ himself. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm not giving you my suggestions. I speak in the very name of Christ. Be ye reconciled to him. He will receive and accept everyone who comes to him. Does he not say in John 6, All who come to me, I will no wise cast out. All who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come to him and he will receive you. But how do I know he's willing? The leper asked that in Mark 1 too. He was so aware of his leprosy and his shame. Oh Lord, I know you can cleanse me if you're willing. What does Jesus say? I am willing. Jesus is even willing to save the reprobate. Matthew 23, 37. Reprobate Jerusalem, who for their impenitents are going to be destroyed and the temple is going to be destroyed and they're all going to hell oh Jerusalem Jerusalem how I was willing to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks but you were not willing come to Christ and he's willing to cleanse you Last objection. Maybe I'll wait and think about it. Maybe I'll wait and think about it. No, don't. Second Corinthians chapter 6. 
Now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. You don't know what's going to happen in your car driving home. You do not know what's going to happen tonight or tomorrow or the day after. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. You walked into this worship service full of iniquity. Walk out washed in the blood of the Lamb. You came in miserable in your sin. Walk out singing in the joy of the Lord. You came in with a burden on your back full of sin. Walk out with Christian freedom knowing that Christ delivers us from the wrath to come. He is a God full of mercy. He has accomplished redemption in Christ. There is forgiveness in him. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let us pray.